Thank you to 12th Street Sound for sponsoring today's episode. If you're an artist and you want your next recordings to stand up to the best of the best, you need to learn more about 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in my home city, New Westminster, BC. 12th Street provides the value and bang for your buck that you can only get from a boutique studio. That's why I keep choosing Anthony Senarini at 12th Street Sound as my recording and mix engineer for my own music, released as William Chernoff. Anthony and the team are collectors and restoration specialists obsessed with music and recording equipment. When I go into the studio, I get more than just great service. I get the space to craft my story as an artist. You deserve the same as you work on your new music for 2022. Whether you need pre-production, tracking, mixing, or full production services, check out 12th Street Sound today and tell Anthony about your next project. Learn more at 12thstreet.ca. That's 12thst.ca. I didn't know about music marketing. You know, when I was taking my bass lessons growing up, it's not like here's a walking bass line and here's how to write a press release or something. It was, it was uh, not something I, I had learned before. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. With Rhythm Changes, we're striving to make the best possible interview show about a music scene. So if you're joining us for the first time, whether from Vancouver, BC, elsewhere in Canada, or across the world, get involved today with a visit to our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Our two guests today are members of Sugar Fungus, a five-piece indie pop collective who released their first EP, Letting Go, Moving Still, on January 26, 2022. You can follow them at Sugar Fungus Band on Instagram, stream their music anywhere, or find them on Bandcamp. The five band members are Tess Meckling on vocals, Brayden DeChico on guitar, Alex Marr on bass, Jackson Moore on keyboards, and Ivan Barbu on drums. And joining me today are the bassist and the vocalist. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Alex Marr and Tess Meckling. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Right on. Well, I'm a bass player. And one thing that grabs me right away about Sugar Fungus is the bass sound, right? From the first notes of track one, catch and release, but especially for me on probably my favorite track, track two, Retrospect. How did you, Alex, I'll start with you, settle into this sound for your bass playing? I use a pick for, for about half of the album and fingerstyle for two or three of the songs. And I'm doing some slap as well. So it's pretty eclectic how I'm approaching it. Whatever kind of was fitting the style of the song or the genre that I was hearing. So I guess that's how I, I write. I have to hear something first. If that sound hits, that's what I kind of chase. Yeah, it sounds like you're really open-minded about it. Like the slap bass fills were something that grabbed me for sure. And just how compressed that pick bass sound is and how powerful it ends up being and how prominent it is because it comes right from the first notes of the first track. Yeah, um, but actually Tess wrote the bass part of that song, Retrospect. I loved it. I didn't really change much of it other than maybe I want, wanted it to have that certain timbre. But it was super groovy. She wrote it before she joined the band and then just presented the demo and and I fell in love with that track instantly. I was like, this is amazing. Thank you for bringing the song. I just loved the bass 
uh, line on that. So it's cool. We have uh, songwriters who are writing not necessarily their own instruments. I wrote some guitar parts. Tess wrote some bass parts. If we hear something, we, we try to communicate with each other to see if we can make it work and fit. Tess, what do you think about how that song came together? And were there any other ones that were like that? Or are you bringing in a lot of these songs? Where are they coming from? You know what? It's funny. Like, that's the only song that was just a fully formed thing that I, that I brought to these guys with like the bass line and all the parts. Like I wrote that stuff in Ableton. Like I'm not a bass player, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a guitar player. I was doing most of the stuff just based off what I was hearing, kind of like what Alex was saying. It's like, if you hear it, you can get it down. And if you have a way of communicating it, then I think that's what matters. But that was cool to hear it come to life with these amazing guys. So yeah. And staying with you on the general bird's eye view over the project, like you use a lot of different vocal registers, some high and some low. And it really does a great job of adding variety as you listen through the EP. So I'm curious, like, how intentional was that? <laughs> I think it's just representative of how I sing usually. I am really interested in all of the capabilities of the human voice and some singers are really really consistent throughout their entire range and for me I find that the tone changes quite drastically based on my range so I do try to utilize that as much as I can and that did become a trademark of this EP I think which is so cool to kind of have something concrete that is representative of you and has that little you know artistic flair to it I guess yeah and then going to Alex, more about the releasing of the songs on this EP, you put out three singles in advance of it, Ghosts, Retrospect, and Catch and Release. So how did you decide which of these singles and which order you would use for those single releases in the lead up? Just based them on, on our demos before we released them or finished them and which ones were getting us to to kind of dance the most, I guess, or groove. So we really liked uh, Ghosts and, and Retrospect, which were originally our two planned singles. And then we kind of had some advice from a consultant. You know, they suggested that you can just continue releasing all your songs on your EP as singles. It's just about gaining traction or getting attention with each release and, and giving love to each song because uh, releasing singles seems to be the model these days. Yeah, and I would say that's especially true in your kind of indie pop, dream pop, indie pop rock genre. You can definitely just go single after single and kind of build some steam as you went into something like this. It was a funny thing that I thought about Retrospect, though, because Retrospect, it floats with no drums for like a really long time at the beginning of the song. And then it has like this guitar solo at the end. And so there's a ton of stuff going on in this song, but yet it was also one that got you a pretty significant playlist placement. So I'm just wondering what either of you think about that. I'm, you can pick whoever wants to lead off on this, but what was that like when you got that placement on that editorial playlist? It was honestly kind of a crazy feeling. I felt just having written the tune, like I felt like it didn't really get the listeners that I had hoped it would get. And that was partially just due to my lack of experience in production and my sort of lack of outreach to other musicians as well. I was kind of just hunkering down and like making my little songs in my bedroom studio and not really doing anything about it. So I think like Sugar Fungus gave it the platform and the 
audience that it kind of needed to get some listeners. So I'm so grateful for that. But um, definitely unexpected. Definitely really, really cool. Yeah. And I think this is a good time. Alex, you can chime in with your thoughts. And then if you want, you can continue on. And I want to hear more about that consultant that you mentioned, because I think you told me that was from Music BC, and you learned a lot about how to steer the band's marketing from this call. And we're kind of talking about that. So first, what whatever you were thinking on the editorial playlist side, your reaction to that, and then what happened on that call? I was super happy. Like I was just checking the Spotify for Artists app, and I saw that all of a sudden we had like 15 people listening to it and we'd never had that before it's like it was usually just you know our friends or or people in our community listening to our stuff and then uh i was like okay hold on something's going on and then i checked and we were on this editorial playlist and i messaged the band i was like holy like we're we're on this list that's huge for us like this is a really big break for us and within a week we had like ten thousand streams on it or something and that was pretty huge for us and and you're right, like um, it does have a slow build to it and it is a five minute long song. So I think traditional um, radio or something, you know, you need to have something within the first 30 seconds. You need to have the hook. So and retrospect kind of has the chorus, but, but it doesn't have the, the beat until like a minute in. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct in, in the assumptions that it's not something that would traditionally be a single. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's an example where the playlist kind of has an advantage over the traditional radio playlisting style where you can pick a longer thing like that if you think that people are going to sink deeply into it and save it and appreciate it more. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, so we joined Music BC last year. And if you're a musician in BC, I'd recommend it because they have some good services that they can provide for you. And one of them was... Uh, called Jumpstart Consulting. So we um, met with an artist manager. I chatted with him for about an hour and I picked his brain on everything. Like, how should we release our music? Because I knew nothing before this. What are the best practices? What what are the do's and don'ts? And he was very helpful and, you know, reassuring that you can release a single every two months. And there's value in things that like uh, like college radio, for example, I had no idea that industry people might might like to see that you're doing that. Getting write-ups um, through services like Submit Hub, it opened my eyes to a lot of things that uh, I didn't know about music marketing. You know, when I was taking my bass lessons growing up, it's not like here's a walking baseline and here's how to write a press release or something. It was, it was uh, not something I, I had learned before. Yeah. And then tests. Where are you at on some of this stuff? Is this something that you also get involved with often on the band side? Or do you see Alex more doing a lot of the legwork on this front? How does a division of labor sort of work it out in the band? And where do you fit in? <laughs> Alex does like 95% of the work, if, if not <laughs> like more than that. <laughs> yeah. I think Alex is very just intuitive in that sense. I think all of us are introverted to some degree slash, Hey, I'm, I'm a little bit lazy. I'm a lazy musician. I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you gotta like take the leap and kind of just believe in yourself enough to say, Hey, like we're good. And we need to make other people believe that, you know, and that's, that's like harder than it may seem. 
Um, a lot of musicians feel like that, that they can do the art part of it, but it's, you know, it's harder to promote yourself. So um, I think we're all learning, but Alex definitely takes the initiative on those fronts. <laughs> nice. Well, good for him. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Tess, sticking with you, we have a section of our audience that is musically literate for sure, making and releasing music as well. And one thing that definitely interests me, probably them too, and maybe also the non-musicians, is that flow from one of you to the others in a five-piece band that has come up as online collaborators from your own homes. Can you talk about what happens when a new song goes from one member of the band to the next? What does that actually look like? Yeah, as people may may know or may not know, we formed during the pandemic. So all of our work was done in our own homes and um, we had to communicate virtually and, you know, bounce ideas off each other. Sometimes it starts with um, a lyric, mostly coming from um, Alex. That's That's where a lot of those first tunes came from. And then you know, I might hear a melody and we'll collaborate on that, or I would write a verse of um, a tune. And, you know, from there, Brayden might add like a guitar part and that would be some insight into, oh, should we, you know, put a vocal part in here? Is it too busy? So I feel like several people might communicate more at one time and then it's like, oh, okay, let's add the drums or I have this cool bass line. Like it kind of depends on the song, I guess. But I think it's pretty seamless. It has been seamless so far in our um, songwriting process. So I think a lot of that comes down to like, we like a lot of the same music and we, we have a vision for what we want our music to sound like. So it's been really easy so far to get that songwriting process happening, I would say. We upload like the stems of each of our tracks in a, in a Google Drive. So like everyone has kind of the session and if there's ever an updated stem, you know, someone just shoots a message like, hey, I made a new uh, baseline or something and you can update the song or the demo at least. We try to keep it open. Like people can rearrange and remix the demos as much as they want when we're writing it. And then we, when we decide that the song's written, we start uh, recording the, the final takes. Yeah, that's fancy stuff. That's what a lot of tech and business people would call asynchronous work, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I guess then the last question I would have on that is, well, what's a little bit more detail, maybe from either of you, depending on who sees this more often, because I know that a lot of the lyrics kind of get written in response to the musical soundscape and they draw the inspiration from the sounds. But like, what else can you say about like how you decide when it is finished, like at a given stage? Because that seems like maybe one of the hardest parts of this process. Well, like for vocals, like Tess is definitely the final decision maker for, for lyrics and, and vocals and stuff. But then for the composition, Ivan did a lot of the final decision making. So we'd give him, give him notes and there might be some, some pieces that were in the original demo that he would just cut out for the sake of the composition or arrangement. And, you know, we'd get messages late at night from them be like, hey, uh, I need you to add this melody here or this needs to be changed here, things like that. So having his expertise, because he has experience as like a, a, a film composer was insanely valuable for us. So he was a decision maker for, for some of that. Yeah, I would just add to that and say, like, you can't overstate Ivan's enough. Like, he just has an ear for, you know, 
when the energy needs to stay high or when we need a moment of like pause and, and quiet or, you know, this, this 16 bar phrase is, is dragging on too long. We need to shorten it to eight bars kind of thing. That's huge. Those little details he, he really nails. I'll tag one thing on and it might be a, a musical cliche, but the song is never really done, is it? It's just kind of a, an iteration. So at one point, you just kind of have to have to let go and just say this is it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was always fascinated about that when I heard about the recency of how you started and how you met like every week virtually or you met on the Sundays when you were collaborating. You talked about that in another podcast that you did while you were putting out the singles that I would recommend any of your other fans who haven't heard it yet to go check it out on the 107.9 Evolution podcast network affiliated with BCIT, I believe, hosted by Camille Paterno. I checked that out before talking to you guys here. And you talked about the band's origin story more there for sure. But one other thing I noticed was this artist playlist that you have on Spotify called Sugary Fun Tunes, where you have a curated collection of your top songs as a band from 2021 that you've listened to or that you identify with. And I definitely noticed that the Zolas were on there in terms of local bands. So from your perspectives, which local especially influences are the most relevant to you guys i mean i think we all like uh, we all like peach pit and they're pretty huge from vancouver yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say. um but i mean yeah growing up in vancouver there's so many uh influences from the indie scene how many bands like like mother mothers of the whale the zolas like all that cohort of indie bands that came up when we were in high school and they definitely shaped who we are as musicians but then yeah going back to the spotify playlist like that's mostly jackson and and myself um maybe before this band i had started to do some djing and you know i did my first paid dj gig new year's eve 2019 2020 and i was all amped to do more djing and then obviously that didn't work i think jackson probably listens to the coolest music out of us he's he's very he could be a curator himself nice tess any other thoughts on that yeah no i agree for sure it's cool to have these people who um you might have known before they kind of got their break and you might even know them personally and you you know you aspire to find your own break kind of thing but i'm also inspired by bands who are like doing their thing and are sort of in your circle so um, Dante's Paradise, Club Sofa are two really, really great bands who I take a lot of inspiration from personally and they're within the CAP community as well. So yeah, lots of kind of levels of inspiration for sure. That's cool. Yeah, I had Todd Stewart on the podcast recently. We were talking off air before the show about some of that stuff. He's in your cohort at CAP, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It is a small community. My last little question on the music side could go to either one of you because it is kind of about drums. On Contagious Love, track five, there's super live sounding, acoustic sounding drums. And that's a huge, huge change from the sound of the previous track, Ghosts. And it's also pretty different from the other tracks. So I was curious how you decided to do that because I found it really refreshing when I arrived at that track, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I feel the same way. We definitely wanted to have some electronic elements in some of the tracks, but um, I just kept hearing uh, like a, a break beat that would fit with that piano riff. And I was like, oh, this would be cool with, with like a break beat sample maybe. But uh, Ivan's insane jazz drummer and 
but we got him to play it something like that for that tune and i think it sounds great yeah i thought it sounded great too and it was another example of how you managed to really fit a lot of great variety into those six tracks but that just speaks to the fact that you're a five piece and you get to bring in all these different perspectives and it really adds up to something really cool and i know that as I just mentioned with like Todd Stewart and with Tess, you know, from that Capilano University community, same as me. I know Alex didn't go to Cap. That's part of the band's origin story. It's to do with being in a science lab and naming the <laughs> band Sugar Fungus. But Tess, maybe more personally on you for a second, where does Sugar Fungus fit into how you came up in music, learning jazz and studying voice and getting better as an all-around musician and what does it mean to you to have this kind of outlet today? Where does Sugar Fungus fit into your musical path as a singer yourself? The jazz beliefs are going to come for me, but I did not grow up listening to jazz. To be, to be honest, I grew up playing classical music and my first experience with singing was just singing for fun, you know, and hearing songs on the radio and trying to figure them out by ear on the piano. And like, that was so formative to me. And I mean, I love jazz and then, like so grateful for it and it's such a rich and amazing tradition and deserves all the respect and I've learned so much for sure. Sugar Fungus is definitely aligned I think with me as an artist and it's the most creative. I would never want to put myself in a box of like I just do this one thing. Yeah my last question about where you're headed as a band then is that you recently applied to and received the Factor Artist Development Grant and I've received that one twice myself as an artist. I enjoy hearing from friends and guests about it. In brief, what are you planning to do with this grant? Well, I think we had planned to maybe fund some live shows, but uh, as well as marketing, but I think we're funding it mostly on marketing now, given that we even had our very first uh, gig has been postponed. We got that email today. So we're, we're spending it mostly on promotional material, like uh, we're making a music video that's going to come out. Uh, we hired a company called Otura Research, and they're doing a digital marketing campaign for us. So it's kind of nice because normally I probably be a little bit out of our budget to spend it on that. But it's uh, if you get a factor grant, you know you might as well try something like that and uh, see if it pays dividends. But it's still just just building an audience for us. Um, that's what we're going to spend the money on. We're going to continue, I think, just recording music. Uh, from our homes and saving saving pennies that way. <laughs> Sounds good. So my last question before we hit the road here, metaphorically speaking, is about the EP title, Letting Go, Moving Still. Who came up with that and how did you come up with that? I think I, think I came up with it. You know, I think listening back to the songs of, of the EP, there's this uh, theme of, of reflection. To me personally, is is letting go of things that were stopping me from writing songs before letting go of, you know, internalized like gatekeeping of sticking to it, to a genre as kind of test maybe mentioned or, or being in a band or all these kind of things, as well as, you know, we were thinking a lot about things while we were in isolation and, and quite literally moving still, like we were moving on, but we we're stationary beings. So that's where it came from. Yeah. Tess, any final thoughts? Um, no, I think, you know, Alex said it. I think it has some really nice imagery to it. And yeah, we wanted something that wasn't so explicit and kind of cliche and then also 
still had some meaning to us. So, <laughs> Well, mission accomplished on that for sure. <laughs> I would say the main thing that I've learned about you guys as a band from talking to you two is that you're all just big appreciators of each other's talents. You're all big fans of each other. That really comes across. So I really enjoyed listening to your EP. I'm super excited to see what you're doing next. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the show yet, make sure you do and tell your friends who might enjoy listening too. Link them to our website, rhythmchanges.ca, Facebook at Chernoff Music, or Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm Changes BC. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production. See show notes for full production credits. Copyright 2022, Chernoff Music. Music.